Friends, grace and peace to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Sarah was working a pretty busy shift at the university bookstore in the last few days leading up to the beginning of school. And in came a mother and her daughter. It was clearly the first time she was there. She was a freshman. And they just both looked terrified and frazzled with all of the emotions and all of the work and stuff that goes into coming and and starting a college life. And there they were with this huge long list of books and it just looked like one more thing they had to do when really all they wanted to do was just hug each other and pretend that they weren't leaving each other. And so Sarah took the list of books and she walked with them carefully and and patiently through the bookstore and she found all of the books and and as they were walking she told them stories about the professors she was going to have, funny, embarrassing stories. She told her where to find free food on campus and all of the kinds of stuff to just take a little bit of the edge off, to ease their minds a little bit. And so as they were checking out, the mom was just effusive with gratitude, so thankful that that she'd been so kind to them. And she turned to her daughter and she said, Look, honey, I told you that you could even find good Christians even at Harvard. Now, she was trying to pay a compliment, of course. The problem was, Sarah's Jewish. She's not a Christian at all. She's like really Jewish. She's married to a rabbi. She keeps kosher and all that stuff. She's not a Christian. Her kindness kind of got stolen, right? And that exchange leads me to wonder if there is some confusion out there about what exactly a good Christian is. What, What is a Christian? What does that word mean. And it's not just a matter of sort of academic speculation, you know, how to define a word. It seems to me to be a crucial thing to understand. For it gets to the heart of what do we do? Why are we here? What is this thing about? Right? What are we forming people for in worship and in education? To be Christian. And what does that mean? Does it really just mean to be nice or polite or not have your ears pierced or have tattoos or whatever, right? I mean, what does it mean to be a good Christian? It's a question of identity. And it's clearly not a matter of just being nice. Because I know lots of people who are really nice and aren't Christians. Some of the nicest people I know are are atheists, Buddhists, Jews. And some of the meanest people I know are Christians. I don't know if you've met some of them. They're on TV a lot, okay? We don't have a corner on the niceness market. So if it's not about being nice, what does it really mean? What are we? What is this identity about? And that is crucial because we were formed for something, something big. Well, that fight was at the heart of a conversation that we began last week. Today we get sort of act two of a, of a debate that was unfolding in the early Christian church. A struggle over the heart of the church to figure out who we were, what our identity was, what makes us who we are for the world. And last week they had a big council meeting where they argued about it and sort of settled some of those things. But then today we hear the rest of the story. 
When we heard the story last week, there were a couple of characters that kind of stood out, and they show up again today. Peter and Paul. You may have heard of Peter and Paul. Not Mary. That's a different thing. So, (laughs) Didn't work at 8.15 either. All right, so... You got Peter and Paul. Now, it's a little confusing because Peter actually goes by four names in the New Testament. His name is Peter, Simon, Simeon, and Cephas. So, anyway, he's there. Trust me. Well, last week they were fighting, and the fight that they were having was, we have always known that we were loved by God and given the promise to be God's people because of this gift of circumcision. Awkward gift, but it's a gift. And all that comes with it, the laws of Moses, all of the, the expectations that guide and guard our behavior, that set us apart, that make us who we are, it maintains this relationship. We know that we belong to God because of this sign. But, all of a sudden, after Jesus, some new folks started showing up. And the Holy Spirit of God in Jesus Christ was like claiming people and baptizing people and making them alive in the spirit of Jesus. And they weren't playing by the same rules or speaking the same language or eating the same food or being circumcised. And it was very confusing. And they fought. They fought and they fought and they fought. Because if that doesn't tell us who we are, what will? And so last week we talked about all of the various ways in which identity is formed and and how anxious that can make us. Well, during that fight, Paul was on the defensive. He was being charged, essentially, with letting the riffraff in. You know, you guys. And Peter stood up to defend him. Peter. Peter told a story in which he said, Look, it surprised me too. I think they're kind of weird too. But... I had a dream once, and that dream led to an encounter. It's a long story, Acts 10 and 11. You go home and read it, I promise. It's a great story. He said, I had a dream, and it led to an encounter where I saw with my own eyes the Holy Spirit poured out on those people, you know, them. And they were baptized right there in front of my eyes. They became a part of this thing, and they don't follow the law, and they don't eat the same stuff, and they don't get circumcised. But you know what? God's doing a new thing. Peter stood up and defended Paul and the Holy Spirit. Then something happened. We're not totally sure how much time transpired. But at one point, a little later, Peter came to visit Paul in Paul's hometown church. The church in Antioch where he'd sort of set up shop. Peter came to visit and he went to church one day. And he looked around, and he started to see just how weird things had gotten. There were all kinds of people there. And they were the kinds of people that back home in Jerusalem, well, we didn't talk so nice about them. And Peter started to wonder a bit. Now, it's clear that he doesn't waver in his conviction. He still believes in the dream that he had. But the text says he was afraid. He was afraid of something. We're not sure what. Afraid of what the others might think. Afraid that people were watching and wanting to see if he was really going to embrace these new people. Afraid that he might lose some of his credibility with some of the other folks who were a little more traditional about some of these questions. He was afraid. And as a result, when it came time to celebrate communion, 
He got up and left. He walked out of church without taking communion. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Out of fear for what others might think of him, he cut himself off from the body of Christ, refused to acknowledge that these people belonged to him and and he to they, refused to belong, that they shared in common this gift that God had given in holy baptism. He cut himself off, literally excommunicated himself, not out of conviction, but out of fear. Fear for what others might think of him. Can you imagine? In that moment, Peter becomes the anti-Christ, anti-Christian, right? Against this thing that God is doing, which is unfortunately not new for Peter. You may remember back in the Gospels when Peter decided he wanted to stand between Jesus and the cross, and Jesus had to say, get behind me, Satan. Not his most shining moment. Peter has something of a theme here. He doesn't know when to stand, when to sit, and when to shut up. But he walked away, cut himself off for fear. Disowned all those people for fear. Made all those people feel like second-class citizens for fear. Can you imagine? You see, fear makes us do crazy things. And it is so easy to be afraid. It is so easy to be afraid. Fear owns us in so many different ways. Fear of death. Not just the big sleep at the end, but all of it. All the little death by a million cuts with every credit card bill or every diagnosis or every time your kids won't call you as often as you want them to. All of the little fears that pile up every time you watch TV and are reminded of one more thing that you should be afraid of this week. The fears of not being popular, not being appreciated, not being noticed, not being beautiful enough, smart enough. All of those fears... They lead us to do horrible things to ourselves and to each other. It led Peter to walk away from the body of Christ. And Paul is not having it. Paul is irate, beside himself with rage. And so he scribbles out with big letters this short but very to the point letter. It's a letter to a church in Galatia that was struggling with the same issues, and he wanted them to hear just how angry he was, how passionate he was about how desperately we must not let fear own us. For fear has no place in the body of Christ. You want to know what a Christian is? A Christian is one who lives without fear. Not nice people, but fearless people. Now, I don't do so hot at that most of the time. Fear creeps into my life all the time, too. That's why i got to come back to this table. But that's what this table's about. And that's what this water is about. It's about living a life where fear gets pushed to the side, literally drowned in the water, so that we can live instead by faith. This is the question that 
Paul poses for us. Are we to live by fear or are we to live by faith? And the only thing that gives us the power to live by fear, by faith and not by fear, is the water of baptism that has literally drowned all of that fear and us. And so Paul reminds us of his story. A story in which he was doing great by his standards and by those of the people he wanted to impress. Everything was going fine until all of a sudden Jesus showed up and killed him. Yep, Jesus killed Paul. He puts it a little more tenderly, but let's just be straightforward here. That's what baptism does. It drowns. He says, Jesus came into my life and said, Hey, Paul, why don't you come to the cross with me? Just come to the cross with me. I'll go first, but come on and follow. And we died together. Jesus and Paul, we died. He put me to death. And so now, all that I have left, all that I am, belongs to Jesus. That's, that's all there is. He says, I've been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, it is Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live now, I live by faith. Faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what guides and directs my life, is faith in the one who took me to the cross, killed all of my fear, and raised me up to be nothing but whatever God has in store for me next. Fearless. Now Paul wavered and stumbled himself, which is why he always went back to the water and the word and the wine and the wheat to be reminded, to be nurtured in faith, to push out fear. And so the invitation for us this day is to embrace that faith. Not getting the answers right, not doing the right things, but the faith that allows us to be fearless. For we don't fear death. When we are in our right Christian minds, which we are not in them very often, but when we are in our right Christian minds, we don't fear death because we've already died. And now we have been given new life by Jesus Christ. We don't fear losing. We're not afraid of being losers. We've already lost. And now we wait for the victory that God has given and promised. We don't fear what others think of us. We don't fear what it means to fit in or to not be pretty enough. All that's all of those fears that so guard and protect and, and just tear us apart in our days. We don't fear that stuff because what matters is what God thinks of us. And what God says is you're beloved and you're holy and you're whole and you belong to me and you belong to them. And we belong together. And so we who have died in Christ in the waters of baptism, we are raised to live without fear. Without fear. And thanks be to God for that. Amen.